Good morning again. <laughs> if you are visiting for the first time, we're really delighted to have you. Um, hope you experience a warm welcome from the rest of us. I see some friends that haven't been with us for a while. It's great to have you back. Uh, if you're new to Beijing, you'll probably discover that things pick up uh, in our congregation and in the community, more broadly in the community, as the month of July progresses and August uh, begins. I think this International School of Beijing begins about the second week of August uh, this year, and so more people will be returning, and there's a lot more uh, activity. Uh, more of our congregation will be coming back. And actually, since we experience about 30% uh, turnover in our congregation every year, we have the opportunity to welcome a very large, normally a very significant portion of our body uh, each year uh, as the year begins. So uh, as you meet uh, friends and become acquainted with people that may be moving into your area, it's a great opportunity to invite them to check us out and uh, hopefully become a part of our community here. We all like stories. Uh, of course, the movie industry is a multi-billion dollar industry because we, we really enjoy seeing uh, stories depicted in film. Uh, publishing industry is huge because we like to read stories and biographies and different kinds of, of fiction in books. And uh, we, like to, we like stories because they entertain us and often they educate us. Uh, some stories are so interesting and sometimes helpful. They survive in world literature for um, centuries. And one story that's endured for 2,300 years in Greek mythology is the story of a guy named Prometheus. Now, if, if you, any of you have ever have some familiarity with Greek mythology, you know that, that Zeus and Greek mythology is the most powerful of all gods, but he has issues. He, uh, he's unfair and he's unpredictable. And Prometheus is one of the lesser, lesser gods in this Greek pantheon. He's a lot weaker, but he cares about people. And so he decides to do three things for people that he thinks will help the human race. He wants people to feel good about themselves, so he gives them confidence. He wants to motivate people, and so he gives them ambition. He wants to improve the quality of their life, so he gives them fire so they can make uh, iron implements and tools improve their quality of life. He, he meant well, uh, but his decisions had some unintended consequences. People gained confidence, uh, but they also became arrogant and started thinking that they were gods. Uh, people gained ambition, uh, but then they started obsessively doing a lot of wrong things. Uh, they gained fire and started making tools, uh, but then they also made weapons and started killing each other in the story of Prometheus. So Zeus was upset. Uh, he chained Prometheus to the top of a mountain, kind of like what we see in the Lord of the Rings, and he sent vultures to eat his liver every day. And then every night his liver grew back uh, so that the vultures would have a, have a nice meal the next day when they got hungry. Now the reason this story has survived for 2,300 years is because it teaches us something 
about the human condition. Uh, confident people, those of us who, are, uh, who may be given to confidence, we can easily become arrogant people and try to achieve the impossible. Ambitious people can easily become obsessively busy, but not necessarily do what's really important. Uh, technology, as we know, definitely improves the quality of our lives, uh, but we also use it to kill each other uh, on a massive scale, and we use it to sometimes to destroy our ecosystem. And the result can be, particularly in Western societies, is that we create cultures where we are endlessly striving for more. We can be excessively active, but just real weary a lot of the time. And it, it, in, in the cultures that we create, we can so very easily uh, forget that God is the origin of life, he is the source of our life, and he is the final purpose of life, according to the insight and the wisdom that we gain from the scriptures. Now, of course, the New Testament, unlike Greek uh, mythology, uh, is true. Uh, it is historically accurate. It reveals to us something about who God really is. And we're engaged in a three-week study of some of Jesus' last counsel to his closest friends and his disciples. And uh, for the most part, as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, uh, we discover that uh, the men that Jesus uh, drew to himself were, for the most part, uh, confident and ambitious young men who definitely had some... Uh, distinct dreams and some vision for their future. And so in his counsel to them, the, the very last counsel before his death and, and crucifixion that we see recorded in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, we see Jesus seeking to redirect their perspective so that uh, they would have access to a wisdom and then, then they would be doing the right things and the right way once he was off the scene and he wasn't such an on-the-scene mentor and counselor and guide. And his counsel is recorded for us in those chapters. So uh, last week we introduced, I'm having a little trouble with this, uh, my wiring this morning, but I'll, I'll work on that. Um, we uh, began reading this portion of the scripture and, and um, last week in John chapter 13, when, uh, verse 33, when Jesus makes this very unsettling statement uh, to them. When he says uh, in that verse, he says, I will be with you only a short while longer and you cannot come where I'm going. <clears throat> now last week we studied the context of these verses uh, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. It is the national annual festival of the Passover. Uh, the city is filled with thousands of people that normally aren't in the city. And the city is stirred uh, because of all of the, the information that's surrounding Jesus and the rumors. And, and there's a dynamic and an energy in the city because they know that... Uh, 
There's rumors that Jesus of Nazareth has arrived and he's generated both the fascination and a lot of controversy as well. And so the city is moved. And so the disciples have definite expectations for what is about to happen and fairly soon. Because of Jesus' teaching and the miracles that he's performed, they are absolutely convinced that he's Israel's Messiah, beyond the shadow of a doubt. You recall when he, Jesus was engaging them at one point in time, he asked them, well, who do men say that I am? And finally, Peter confesses that you are the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God. He didn't deny it. He embraced it. He said, yes, uh, Simon, uh, you're correct. And you didn't get this from people, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this uh, to you. And based on an incomplete understanding that they had of Old Testament prophecy, they believed that Jesus' Messiah was about to introduce a whole new and different political regime into Israel. And they had definite ideas about riding his coattails into a position of great prominence uh, and probably visibility in this new community that they thought was coming. So he makes this statement, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer, and they, they get upset and confused. And they begin asking where he's going, but he doesn't answer their questions directly. Uh, instead, he redirects uh, the conversation and begins focusing on a whole new set of ideas, and he begins promising them a new kind of spiritual experience that will soon become available to them. And he says, in, therefore, in, in John 14 and, and verse 1 and following verses, he says, Don't let your heart be troubled. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In Greek, the word is parakletos, who will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So Jesus promises to, even though he's leaving, he's going to send them a new companion. And this is a fascinating word, as we, just, we studied last week. It has a multi, multiple meanings, one of which is helper. They, he will be sending them a partner, a collaborator. He will also, he's, he's a comforter. He, he'll be sending them someone who will reassure them, console, calm, and relieve them at times of some of the fears that they're facing. He's also an encourager. That's another aspect of this word. He, he will, this new companion that he is promising them, he will give them confidence and courage uh, and brighten their outlook, actually, at times when they need, need it. And he goes on in John chapter 14 and, and, uh, and also in verse 16, he says this. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit of truth, will teach you. He will remind you of what I have said to you. He will guide you into all the truth. He shall take insight from me and disclose it to you. Now he knows that they are about to face just a whole lot of confusion. Uh, instead of their expectations being fulfilled, uh, he is going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, convicted, and crucified. Uh, but then he's going to be raised from the dead, and they're going to have this encounter with the resurrected Christ that's electrifying to them. 
But then they're going to become part of a movement that initially in Israel uh, has produces a whole lot of controversy and opposition. So as leaders of this new movement that he knows is coming, they're going to face all kinds of very complicated and difficult personal decisions. Uh, that, and they're going to need wisdom. They're going to need guidance, and they're going to de- need direction immediately and then for the rest of their lives as they continue leading this new movement. And so this promise is just uh, really extraordinary. Um, he, he's offering them a type of guidance. If they can learn, if they can understand and learn how to listen carefully and experience this direction and the guidance of this new comforter that he will send to them, they will navigate life uh, very effectively and fruitfully. And then he says in John chapter 15 and verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. Now, given the context, since he says he's also leaving, what he's saying here is live in the relationship with this companion that I'm going to be sending you. Experience uh, his uh, efforts to help and comfort and guide and teach you. And uh, no doubt, I suspect at the time, what he was saying seemed off point. If I, if I put myself in their shoes with all of the expectations that they took into that conversation, if I'm them, I would probably, uh, this, you know, he, there's some, he's talking mystically here. I don't get it exactly what he's trying to say. It seems mystical, confusing, and unsatisfying in some ways. But then 50 days later, after all of these events of his resurrection and, and uh, all that we can read about in the book of the Acts at the annual festival of Pentecost, they experience the arrival of this companion that he was to be uh, was, he was going to give them, and that, of course, is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. Now, the New Testament says that all things uh, are written for our instruction. So, therefore, we know that as we carefully interpret Jesus' teaching, uh, that his instructions to his disciples uh, are also promises and instructions to us as followers of Christ as people who have been uh, uh, awakened to the reality of Christ, who've understood his identity, we've opened our minds and hearts to him, we've accepted his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation, we've become united to him eternally in a relationship. And we can then experience the ministry of the Spirit that he has promised to them in these passages. But then the important, uh, one of the important questions that surfaces is how. Uh, if, this is, if this is really true, if we can in a vital and, and life-transforming way experience what Jesus is promising here, how do we do that? Are there some disciplines? Are there some habits that we can develop to cultivate the patterns of listening, and experiencing the life of the Spirit that Jesus is offering and promising in these verses. So in the remainder of our time, I've asked my wife Iris to join me this morning. Um, the, uh, 
How you doing? <laughs> uh, I thought it would be helpful. To, sometimes we, not just me and Iris, but we invite different ones of you to uh, be on our platform and to share. Uh, I wanted Iris to share some of her thoughts about what she has learned um, about developing a life, a, a spiritual life, about listening to the Spirit, experiencing His reality on a, a routine basis. Of course, there's all kinds of distractions in our life. All of us face of different kinds of pressure, whether that's academic, if we're in school, you know, social, if we're in school, or if we're a homemaker, if we're working, whatever kinds of occupational uh, objectives and, and direction that you've got, Life is always full of plenty of, of activity and responsibility and a lot of pressure. So it's very easy to sort of take these promises of Scripture and, and just sort of, of isolate them to, if we, if we attend church regularly, to just kind of compartmentalize uh, the spiritual reality of, the, of, of what described the New Testament to one portion of our week. But... I think Iris, as much as any person I've ever met, actually, uh, it very passionately pursues spiritual growth and development. I think she really genuinely um, seeks to listen to God's direction and guidance, and, I, and uh, so I thought she had some valuable things to say. So I'm going to let her talk to you about what she's learned. Uh, there's an audience like ours. It's very diverse, of course. Some of you ha ha are very uh, far along in this process and you could join us up here and share valuable insights. Some of you may not have ever developed uh, the habit of daily or weekly habits of really reading and seeking uh, spiritual insight and development. So, but in any case, Iris is going to share with us her thoughts on it. One of the first times that I, I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit can, can put an impression on our mind or speak to us, not in an audible voice, but he can speak to us. And the, the first time I experienced that was when I was in college and um, I was in an, an accident and a, an automobile accident. So I was on the street and the ambulance came and picked me up and I was in the back of the ambulance. And it, the presence of God was so uh, thick in the ambulance. It's almost like, you know, God was there. And it was as if what the voice that I heard was, I want to use you, but you have a lot to learn, so pay attention. And when, I, when they rolled me into the emergency room, some of my friends were waiting for me, and they said, you know, because I was in shock and I, I was kind of crazy a little bit, and as they rolled me in, my friends said that I kept repeating, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. So I think that's the theme of, of what, I've tried to do is pay attention to what what God is saying to me. Um, I would summarize the way I do that. Obviously, it's very simple by Bible study and prayer, and doing those two things um, alone and in groups. I think you you really benefit from praying with other people, and you re benefit from studying with other people. Um, I've done a number of different methods, and that's changed in the seasons of my life, but um, one of the things that I've started doing in recent years that's been really meaningful to me is I keep a journal, and I, um, I, read through, I start in Genesis, and I just read through the Bible, um, and I, when I see a verse that really stands out to me, you know, I'll copy it down. 
Um, I remember reading in Deuteronomy, it's Israel, uh, God commanded the Israelites that when they had a king or a leader that he was to copy the whole law. And I thought there's something that God is saying that when we write it down, it, it, it soaks in. And so I, I, of course, I haven't copied the entire book of Genesis, but I would, verses that stood out to me, like Genesis 15, 1, um, God says, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. So I thought, oh, yeah, I like that. So I would write that down. So I have this little journal. Um, and sometimes if I'm doing another Bible study, I may go weeks without doing it. But then I'll pick it up where I left off and continue. And then I have a little journal with all my favorite verses. And sometimes I'll take that on a plane with me. Um, oops. Um, I'll take that on a plane with me and, uh, you know, have a chance to read that. Um, I've... I've studied, used a concordance, you can use the computer now, and I'll look up a verse, I mean, I'll look up a, a word like um, shepherd, I think, what, is it, what does it mean for God to be my shepherd? So I'll look up the word shepherd and sheep and flock, and I'll look up every verse in the whole Bible that talks about that, so I, that's studying by theme. Um, I've done um, intensive uh, studies of a certain book of the Bible. You know, we have Bible Study Fellowship, which is a great study. There's lots of small groups that will do that this fall. A lot of them will start this fall where you get a book of the Bible and you'll study that more intensely. I've done scripture memory. And actually, that was something I did a lot when my children were little because I, di I didn't have time to have a big Bible study. I had little kids running around, so I would have one verse. I'd put it on the refrigerator. Every time I walked past, I would try to memorize that verse. So I used different methods. I, I think the thing I would want to convey is that any, anybody in the world who reads the Bible and studies it is going to benefit from it because it's, it's the best self-improvement book there is out there. But the reality of what Tom has been talking about is that Jesus promised that we would have a Holy Spirit and that he, as the living author of a living book, um, will speak to us and make it really come alive. And I've experienced that. I loved Martin's story, you know, when you read the verse, you know, you will not fall. And it's like it's... It's, it's like God saying that, ver you know, it was written thousands of years ago, but he, he put it in there for Martin for that day. You know, I, I love that. Um, and so I, I think it's the same with us. It's that I, I can be reading along and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly it's like there's a verse in bold. You know, it's like in bold and almost like it's, it's, out, it's said out loud or something. And um, I wanted to tell you one story is... Um, I was reading the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you know, blessed are those who mourn. And I was just going through, and I got to blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when I got to that verse, it almost like it was in bold. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And it's almost like it just, I just stopped, and it's like, do I have a pure heart? And I started the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of brought things to mind, and I was doing a lot of good things, and especially this one project that I was involved in, and it, it was as if God was saying to me, are you doing that because you want to glorify me, or are you doing that because it glorifies you? And it was like, what is the motive of your heart in doing that? And it just, you know, sometimes you don't want the Holy Spirit to read the Bible with you, you know, but it just... 
you know, I just, it bothered me, and I, I just, so I stopped, and I said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't think I have that pure of a heart, but I, I do want to see you. I don't, I don't want to miss out on seeing, so, seeing you, so would you change me? You know, would you make my heart pure? And so it was so interesting. The next few weeks, every, everywhere I went, there was something about pure in heart. I mean, it, you know, so I'd come to church, and the worship songs would be about, you know, have a pure heart. I was like, what? Did they, did they read my mind, you know, what, when they picked that song? And, and then, you know, I would um, be talking to somebody, and they said, you know, I'm reading this great thing about, and it talked about being pure in heart. I'm like, seriously? You know, everywhere. It was like I just couldn't get away from it. Um, so one night in particular, I'd, I'd gone to bed troubled about this, and I, I, I was thinking, how do you make your heart pure? I can't reach in there and scrub it, you know, like, how do you make your heart pure? I don't have any ability to make my heart pure. I can just do the best I can, but I, and so I'm troubled, and I woke up at two in the morning just fretting a little bit about this. It's like, oh, I just, I think my motives are not pure, but I, I don't know how to make them pure. So I got up, I went to the TV room, and um, it was dark, I turned on the light. We have this shelves in the TV room, we have three huge shelves, some of you have seen it, have hundreds and hundreds of books, and I, th I thought if I read something, it would help me go back to sleep, so I'm looking, and, and I, I saw this book I hadn't read in years, so I thought, oh yeah, you know, so I just put this random book off the shelf, and it happened to have a bookmark in the book, so I opened the book where the bookmark was, and what did it say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, was the name of the chapter. I just thought, oh, wow. But I had the sense that God, God picked that book. So I started reading that chapter, and it was as if God, that man who wrote the book years ago, had written that for me, and he said, if you are bothered about not having a pure heart, um, then it's a sign that God is making your heart pure. You know, it's an it's a encouraging sign. And it said, because two verses ahead of that, it says, blessed are the pure, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So if you are a person who hungers for righteousness, you know, you'll be satisfied. So anyway, that was a, one of those stories where um, God made it alive to me. Is, am I talking too much? No, not at all. Go ahead. Um, the other thing I, I would just try to say real quickly is about prayer and um, I have to confess that I love to study the Bible I can study the Bible all day long prayer is takes more effort for me and um, it takes a lot of concentration um, one time I decided that I would um, have a I had a, a notebook so I would write down every verse I found that told us what to pray for so if you pray for the lost pray for that pray um, for your leaders, I'll pray for that, you know. Uh, so I wrote down all these things, and I ha my list was really growing. So every day I was, you know, going down all my list. And one day as I was doing my notebook, um, I, again, I heard the Holy Spirit kind of say, um, you know, when you get done with your notebook, can you talk to me? <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, what I have to, for me, this is a weakness, but what I have to remember is just, turning my face to God's face and to, um, to, to have a, a time just with him that I can tell him. Uh, if I don't have anything to say, then sometimes I just say, God, I, 
you know, I don't know what to say to you, and maybe I'm so distant from you that I don't have anything to say. And I'm really sorry about that. But that's a good start, you know, right there. Um, but I have to turn my face to his face, seek his face. Um, and I think, one, you know, Tom, when he was uh, reading this passage, in, in John 15, it says, apart from me, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus lived like that. He, he always, when he prayed, he said, God, I, I can only do what I see you doing. I can only do what you tell me to do. Um, and he, Jesus was very dependent on God. So if Jesus was dependent on God, you know, obviously we're very dependent. Apart from him, we can do nothing. When I am in touch with that reality that apart from him, I can do nothing, then I'm going to be praying a lot. When I feel really confident um, and things are going well, I don't so much feel the need to pray, pray. And that's my, I found this great quote, and I'll close with this, but um, I just actually read this yesterday. I'm reading a book on prayer, but it says, if you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time to pray. So my prayer life is a good gauge for me of how much I understand the reality of the fact that I desperately need God. The, um, just a couple of thoughts, and, and we'll end. But the passage, I think... From my perspective, you know, one of the passages that Iris quoted, you know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, you know, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So if it's, we desire that, if we genuinely desire a connection, uh, an authentic, uh, real, and ongoing connection with God the Spirit, and we express that to him in his own good timing. He will guide us uh, and consistent with our own individual personalities and preferences and style, you know, and what makes sense to us. Um, uh, and uh, so he's, I think he's very, very reliable because the, um, Jesus in this passage doesn't say he will teach you if. He just says he will teach you. So if we're listening at all, he, he will, in fact, guide and direct and provide us uh, wisdom. But uh, then developing those basic disciplines of... Uh, I've been reading this great book recently by Henry Nouwen, who's one of the more famous and popular uh, Christian writers of the last 50 years. He, he's died now, but a uh, very, very uh, popular writer. And he was talking about the discipline of solitude, of uh, disciplining ourselves uh, for a few moments every day of quiet in which we are s disengaging from all the pressures and responsibilities and, and activities and stress. And uh, we are engaging uh, scripture. We are seeking to express our thoughts and feelings to God, you know, either just verbally or in some kind of a journal. Uh, we're reading a devotional. But as we cultivate those habits, uh, it's very clear um, that um, the promises of John uh, 
become more real to us and the reality of what he's promising here uh, become more and more of an actuality in our life. So, Why don't you pray for us this morning? Um, Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the great price you paid so that we could communicate with the Father. I thank you that when you, you were on the cross and you said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You went through a time when God turned his face from you so that we would have the privilege of God never turning his face from us. And we praise you and thank you for that sacrifice you made on us. I pray for all these dear people. We, we love them so much. and pray that your hand would be on them, that you would draw them into a deeper, more real, more intimate relationship with you, that they would hear you speak through scripture and they would be drawn, they would hunger and thirst to be drawn into that relationship with you. And I pray that you would do something new in them, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.